0: Welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the intersection of faith and reason. I'm Doug Keck, your gatekeeper and the keeper of the questions. And this is a special program where we will focus totally on the questions we've got that you've sent to us over the last couple of months at universityw 10com Again, spitzersuniverseadw10.com. Check out Father Spitzer's myriad websites, the Magis Center one, the Credible Catholic one, and Purposeful Universe one as well. And of course, don't forget the program Father Spitzer's Universe and our other great programs are on demand on our on-demand page on our EWTN YouTube channel as well. And we recently added another great production, uh, Exile of Mary Magdalene, to our on-demand page, constantly updated. So go there on a regular basis. You'll find something new. And again, we are answering your questions on today's program and we're in the month of July, and the book for the month of July is St. Thomas Aquinas Rescues Modern Psychology. Somebody had to, and it's written by Father Brian Malidi, and he's always great, great teacher. And welcome, Father Spitzer, another great teacher. He's uh, He's not a Dominican. He's... But uh, uh, he is a Jesuit, can't but, have uh, everything. but uh, you know, uh, Father Father Mitch says it's okay, so we wanted to invite yeah, you to the program. It's okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so if you want to kick us
0: off with a prayer, that'd be great.
1: You, you bet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, blessing of our church, this country, and of course this ministry. We ask you this day to send your Holy Spirit down upon Doug, myself, our whole audience, so that everything we do and say and hear will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. 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 And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray amen. for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 And you've got... Uh... A couple of books, why don't we
0: talk about some of the books you got coming out uh, later this year.
1: Well, I've got The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, that'll come out in September And that book is trying to give a defense of the uh, uh, church's teachings on transgenderism, homosexuality, pornography, birth control, using basically uh, secular surveys that justify if you disobey the church's moral teaching, you can see a decline in emotional health, spiritual health, and relational health. You can see that through uh, the lens of secular surveys of institutes like the archives of general psychiatry, et cetera. So it's, a, it's a really a good uh, justification in secular terms mm-hmm. of why you ought to obey the Catholic Church's teaching, why it's good for uh, every dimension uh, of you, not just your soul. Of course, that's the most important dimension, mm-hmm. but all the other dimensions as well helps to make the, uh, the case for the secular culture. Uh, the second book is called Science at the Doorstep to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the latest um, information from the area of science on the existence of an intelligent creator. Uh, so we'll be looking at uh, Stephen Hawking's recent uh, um, t- uh, you know, uh, uh, articles that mm-hmm. uh, were about an, uh, the impossibility of an infinite universe coming, uh, our universe coming from an infinite multiverse, excuse me and um, and so that every multiverse from which our universe could have proceeded would have to have a beginning with a very small number of bubble universes at the very least maybe this universe is the only universe but uh, mm-hmm. if there is a multiverse it's gonna have a small number of uh, bubble universes and it certainly would have a beginning so we're right mm-hmm. back to the beginning so the um, mm. uh, it also gives uh, um, uh, you know the m- recent data too for uh, there just there was a new um, Uh, indication from the New York Academy of Sciences um, Mm -hmm. that just came out, uh, you know, talking about these near-death experiences which I've talked about in this show before, where they pretty much say now the data is so significant and the uh, studies are so good in peer reviewed medical journals, it is very, very difficult to say uh, that there is not something like a trans physical soul that is capable of surviving bodily death and that that exists in every human being and it's mm-hmm. somehow integrated uh, with our brain. That's a new theory of consciousness, but uh, the idea of mm. living beyond the physical body is now out there in the New York Academy of Sciences. Oh, so, uh, I've okay. got a little uh, updates on these kinds of things right. and a yes, whole lot of updates on why we're unique uh, in the world of the soul. And, um, you know, Ch- Noam mm. Chomsky, Robert Berwick wrote a brand-new book on uh, um, why only us which is a justification uh, not only of the fact that uh, human beings are unique uh, in our linguistic abilities uh, and self-consciousness, but also that um, we may have to make recourse uh, to what they call ancient philosophies, mm-hmm. in order to explain what they get down to the baseline of atoms of language, and the atoms of language are kind of like, uh, you know, they're spiritual. They're like conceptual without a physical basis, mm-hmm. and that's uh, so. Uh, uh, Berwick and Chomsky actually say at the at the end, well, you know, I mean, uh, we may want to be turning to medieval and ancient philosophy to get some idea. Well, that's you know, code for soul. Uh, right. Turn to a soul uh, to get. An explanation for right. this. So that's another really interesting development along the lines of, you know, why, why aren't apes right. uh, ever going to be like us? Why can't Nim Chimsky really mimic uh, syntactically significant language uh, that we utilize every day and first, mm-hmm. you know, one year olds utilize every day? So um, we've got a lot of updates in that book and a, many more than just the ones I talked about. And then I've got a third book called Science at the Doorstep to Christ. I don't have to tell you, there has been so much stuff going on in the Shroud of Turin, mm-hmm. very, very interesting stuff um, uh, that's going on. And uh, right. uh, one of them is, of course, so uh, we talked about in our program a little while back. Uh, that's the um, uh, wide-angle X-ray scattering dating of the Shroud of Turin that Puts the shroud to between 55 to 74 AD, Mm -hmm. and that's a very good peer reviewed uh, Mm -hmm. uh, method for um, dating uh, ancient uh, uh, fabrics, especially ancient linen. uh, And so that uh, uh, area, but of course the atomic. Uh, theory, the atomic uh, uh, dissolution uh, of the body as being now the primary um, uh, theory for how the image got created, because that theory, uh, with the atomic disintegration of the entire body simultaneously, mm-hmm. if you adhere to that theory, it explains all 32 enigmas uh, on, the, on the shroud, mm-hmm. okay. uh, which the other one, the ultraviolet radiation alone, uh, doesn't explain. So particle radiation now uh, that comes from the uh, atomic disintegration. Um, of the body. That's the new kind of favored uh, theory and mm-hmm. of course I don't have to tell you that's just as much of a miracle as uh, billions of watts of vacuum ultraviolet radiation uh, coming from the body right. I mean uh, let's face it perfectly stable atomic nuclei uh, billions of tr- no right. trillions upon trillions of those nuclei just don't suddenly disintegrate simultaneously there's got to be another cause sounds like God right. to me and so that's a you know supernatural cause of the image on the shroud so that's some exciting news on the shroud front oh the Eucharistic miracles front oh there's uh, um, this uh, Castan Gomez, um, uh, Dr. Ricardo Casiano Gomez, his book on the Texla miracle, um, you know, which uh, I diagnose, uh, you know, quite, quite a bit mm. um, in, in this uh, m- chapter in Eucharistic miracles in the book, uh, that is just chock full of laboratory reports and appendices that really put this thing together. I mean, uh, when you look at the amount of data that man, Mm -hmm. on his own personal expense, got at first-class laboratories all over the world trying uh, to put together how this Eucharistic... I mean, the Tixla miracle, by the way, is, I've, I've talked about the Buenos Aires miracle and the Seculca miracle. The Tixla miracle in 2006 in Mexico, this thing is unbelievable. And you actually can see an outflow of blood from the interior to the exterior of the host. Mm-hmm. The surrounding tissue from which the blood is flowing, uh, actually, that surrounding tissue is living cardiac mm-hmm. tissue and by the way there are living white blood cells and macrophages uh, that are actually you know doing their work to mm-hmm. heal things eating uh, you know uh, limits and so forth that are that are uh, hmm. obviously fats and things that are causing um, you know uh, difficulties in, in in the in the tissue, mm-hmm. and these things are being consumed uh, by white uh, blood cells, etc. Wow. So you can actually—he's got this. It's just amazing right. what he's got. So I try to summarize all this and then coordinate it with the Sekolka miracle. The Seculka eucharistic miracle has the advantage of having the electron. Um, uh, microscope uh, examination uh, where they actually looked at the fine filaments in the in the heart uh, tissue mm-hmm. that are interwoven with the substance of the host so you've got substance of the host which are like bread molecules and um you know uh, uh, and, and fibers and filaments mm-hmm. and they are basically integrated so finely with the uh, fi- filaments uh, fine filaments mm-hmm. in the heart tissue the cardiac tissue uh, they're so close I, like we're talking about you know several you know just a few microns, Uh, differentiation and completely synthetically interwoven that um, uh, one of the uh, professors that did the electron microscope screening basically said, look nasa doesn't even have a technology that can possibly imitate this kind of a synthetic interweave uh, between two different substances i mean it's just you know i mean literally the heart tissue is growing out of the, um, mm-hmm. the, uh, the 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 substance of the host, and that that's now confirmed with electron microscope screening. So you look at these. That, that's a really right. new, interesting uh, take on things. And then uh, uh, some of the new theories on the Fatima miracle, explaining the miracle of the sun. Uh, so we go through some oh, of the great. latest yeah. theories. And that's, uh, that, that's that are,
0: like book number three. Then is that what it is? And we're,
1: that's book number three, three, called three, called "Science right, okay. at
0: the Doorstep to Christ." And when when will that yeah. book actually do you think be out?
1: Well, it's going to be sometime next year. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping you know that uh, I'm submitting the manuscripts uh, on July fifteenth, um, and hopefully, uh, okay. those books can be out um, within you know about fourteen months okay. of when I submit. So it'll probably be about August or September of next year. Okay. Let me ask uh, you also. That uh, 2023.
0: Uh, two things. One is uh, I think we're planning on on printing an edition uh, for EWTN Publishing based on uh, Q&A from this particular program. Yeah. Uh, that's something we're planning yeah. on doing. The other thing, let me just ask you quick, uh, you know, somebody would look and say, okay, Father Spitzer's brilliant, and, uh, but he's obviously limited in what he can do. How does Father Spitzer write a book these days?
1: Oh, well, I mean, uh, basically, I do have my eye, Joan. Um, which is very important. And she, Joan Jacoby is remarkable. Uh, mm. So she helps me do a lot of the research. And, um, you know, uh, what I do is I scour various kinds of. Um, you know I do various kinds of searches and things of that nature mm-hmm. I, I talk to my friends who are scholars let's say in shroud research or in uh, physics research or in co- early cosmology research and so I've talked to them and I say hey uh, whatever you got that's new and interesting you know send them my way then mm-hmm. she uh, would of course read me those articles and sometimes it's a torment because they're highly technical art- articles she's great at it though and the, and I'm mm-hmm. telling you she types a 100 words a minute uh, that helps to To get Mm -hmm. the old thing cranked out in the initial uh, um, uh, drafts of it, and then uh, um, you know I have uh, my other assistant uh, too. uh, You know, because uh, you know I I, I like to work 76-hour week, and because of that, uh, you know I can't completely torment Joan. So uh, I've got uh, (laughs) uh, Gina, Rudy, and other people too. So uh, so uh, basically, we get the uh, we get the books done, and um, and uh, so. uh, um, it's uh, it's really um, been uh, um, you know uh, uh, you know sometimes mm-hmm. uh, people say well how what do you do, you know how do you get seventy six hours a weekend uh, because the hours are there and they can get done mm-hmm. and with two assistants they can really help me out a lot but they do a lot of reading for me mm-hmm. a lot of typing for me and of course together we edit the books and uh, and the research part that's a lot of my friends uh, physics friends medical friends. Mm-hmm. Um, etc. that helped me scour the pages.
0: Okay, okay. That's why you're so prolific. I work more like seven or <laughs> six hours a week. Uh, that's that's yeah, closer, right. closer to what, work what we're same doing. No way. So let's get to some questions here. Dear Father Spitzer, your honest and sincere evaluation uh, regarding Archbishop Corleone banning Nancy Pelosi from communion was outstanding and absolutely true. That was a couple of weeks ago. I admire your candid and heartfelt support on behalf of the Archbishop. I praise Doug, that's nice, for letting you know that, uh, that you didn't need to apologize for your emotions and, 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 the, and that your f- feelings were livid. Sometimes we need strong emotions to confront the reality of real evil. Someone had to do it, and thank God that someone was you. It's not really a question, it's a statement from Jackie. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Jackie. Appreciate it. <laughs> it's always good to get right. We get it. We get enough of the other stuff. Yeah. Let's move on to another question, then, uh, if we can. Let's see. We've got mm-hmm. one here. Uh, we've got so many. We got to uh, go through the mix here. Dear Father Spitzer, the Church teaches we are to treat those with same-sex attraction with the same dignity as we treat mm-hmm. others. I recently read where a Catholic school fired a homosexual teacher for marrying his partner does this not go against the teaching of the church then, James?
1: No, uh, here's the reason why that logic doesn't work, James. It's because a teacher is an example and they are a model. And oftentimes when a teacher uh, goes to a catholic school, that teacher automatically agrees that they are going to uh, uh, live a life that is consistent with the magisterium of the catholic church. In other words, publicly Uh, they're going to live that life. Well, if you get married uh, to a gay partner, um, this is going to be known by every student and every parent in the school. And what does that say about the teachers modeling uh, the morality of the faith? Mm -hmm. It's basically a public shunning of it, um, and uh, especially in light of the fact that that's generally explained to teachers when they come on board that they're expected to model a life that's consistent with uh, Catholic faith and morality. And that's clearly not. And so uh, they should know better. And I think the school was justified in doing what it did. And I think, like I said, people Mm. should know this uh, and be prepared, you know, before they come to a Catholic school. They know the rules if they want to push the rules and then claim foul afterward. That's not very good. I mean, it would be the same thing you sign a sports contract, you go to work for a team, and you say, you know, I'm going to do this during spring training. I'm not going to do this and this and this. And then you do it and the coach says, hey, you're suspended for three games. You know, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. And then you say, foul, you know. Wait a minute, you know. It's not a foul. You were told this is going to happen. Right, and
0: if if you want any organization or group of people to be sympathetic or understanding of your belief system or your view of the Mm -hmm. world, well, shouldn't you capitulate that back to them as well and have the same sense of what theirs are and have that same if you want that respect shouldn't you show that respect back
1: yeah and by the way the supreme court that's one thing where the the court gives great latitude Mm -hmm. uh, to uh uh, religiously uh, denominational schools so uh, Mm uh we do have the uh the right to ask that teachers model the life and teach the teachings of that church, um, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, and so it's, uh, there, there's great latitude there. Uh, so I think even, you know, within the state government, which sometimes can be very secularized, mm-hmm. um, that particular uh, privilege is still allowed uh, to the churches. And I think it's good that we uh, maintain that consistency so that we're not speaking out of both sides of our mouth and um, that we really mean what we say when we're talking about um, what Catholic moral right. um, well, and faith content is?
0: Isn't the charge about being a hypocrite the idea that you're you're not uh, walking the talk? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you're, you're yeah. saying this, but what are you doing about it? That's really, yeah, yeah. Well, the hits the road, as they used to say. Here, uh, yeah. Father Spitzer, during a discussion with my son on the immorality of homosexual relationships. I mentioned the point that a homosexual couple can never conceive a child together naturally. He responded, "Neither can elderly heterosexual couple, yet the church condones their relationship. Can you explain the difference, Dave?"
1: Yeah, Dave, here's here's the uh, uh the point is that um, you know there are um, you know from the vantage point of of Christian doctrine, um, it's not that the argument isn't just made from the vantage point of whether you can have a child or you can't have a child. Uh, RIGHT. I MEAN, THAT'S PART OF THE ARGUMENT. Mm-hmm. The, THE ARGUMENT, THOUGH, THERE'S, there's THREE PARTS uh, TO THE ARGUMENT. I KNOW THAT IN, in SECULAR CULTURE IT IS ARGUED THAT um, A HOMOSEXUAL COUPLE CAN RAISE A CHILD JUST AS WELL AS a, a, a FAMILY WITH A MOTHER AND FATHER. BUT THAT ARGUMENT IS JUST SIMPLY NOT TRUE. THERE ARE ALL KINDS OF STATISTICS OUT THERE FROM SECULAR SURVEYS THAT SHOW THAT THERE REALLY ARE DIFFERENCES THAT HAVING A MOTHER AND A FATHER AND HAVING THE MOTHER AND THE Father, uh, it, with the particular ethos that they do have, mm-hmm. raising that child is exceedingly important. And it's exceedingly important to their emotional stability going forward into the future. You, you know, uh, of course, a child uh, can be raised uh, in, in a homosexual family and still come out uh, okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, some, oftentimes, uh, that will resemble very closely a child that is coming from a divorced family, etc. There, there is need for both. And the idea, you know, that, uh, that uh, there is not a contribution from both parents is really erroneous. So that's the first thing. It's on the child-rearing mm-hmm. level uh, where these things uh, become very significant. And you can mm-hmm. say, well, that's just marginal difference. No, it isn't. It's actually a very significant difference. It's not a marginal difference. Mm-hmm. And the second thing that, that's uh, really important is the whole idea of what's going on in the sexuality itself and whether that is good for you religiously, uh, relationally. Um, emotionally and spiritually. Uh, so, so let's just take a look, uh, you know, just from the vantage point of statistical surveys. So you say, well, you know, homosexual marriage, just as good as a regular marriage. Actually, um, uh, if the there is, you know, um, uh, the marriage takes place, uh, yes, it is, the, the, the homosexual marriages have uh, three uh, real distinctions. Number one, of course, they mm-hmm. break up more than twice as often as um, uh, um, heterosexual marriages. Mm -hmm. The second thing uh, that's occurring is that um, uh, there's much less monogamy in those marriages, that is to say uh, fidelity to your partner alone, uh, much less monogamy in those marriages than there is uh, in uh, heterosexual uh, marriages. Um, of course, the heterosexual monogamy rate is starting to creep up now, too, but um, but uh, the, that's the, the second real difference. Mm-hmm. And the third real difference is, yeah, there are huge uh, differences in the terms of practicing of religious commitment uh, Mm -hmm. uh, of religion within that marriage. Now, um, you know, I've already talked about in this show the correlation Mm -hmm. between religion and marriage. Religious people stayed married much longer and have the highest marital rates of satisfaction. And people who are um, uh, happily married, are also supporting each other in their religions. This is what Thornton, uh, the big researcher, sociological researcher, Thornton, uh, calls the reciprocal effect of marriage and religion. Mm -hmm. So that works out very, very nicely. But let's just take a look at what happens uh, when you move into the realm of just practicing uh... homosexual behavior what happens is that the re- the attendance rate at churches decreases by about fifty percent mm-hmm. w- by comparison to heterosexual couples then the idea of reading the bible about fifty percent religion as being um, and and prayer as being important reduced by about fifty percent on all the scores by the way this was not my survey this is the pew survey from i think twenty fourteen that went ahead and cataloged mm-hmm. all four levels of religious practice and development Well, if you undermine, you know, the religious uh, dimension, it's, uh, of course, that's not good. Mm. But when you undermine religious uh, dimension, Remember, what happens emotionally, you're going to have an immediate uh, decrease in emotional health. So, as spiritual practice decreases, also emotional health decreases, and that's why, according to the American Psychiatric mm-hmm. Association study, uh, that uh, happened. Right, people who are non-religiously affiliated uh, basically have much higher, like doubling, mm-hmm. you know, or more of um, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, familial tensions, antisocial aggressivity suicidal ideation and suicides so that's that's what happens when you don't practice religion now you put all that together and you can see it's not the same. Homosexual marriages are not the same mm-hmm. as as uh, as heterosexual marriages, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. Mm-hmm. And moreover, as I said, the monogamy rate is affected. Moreover, um, uh, the breakup rate is about right. double that. I think that was a Rosenberg study. I, I you know I don't have all the facts at my fingertips, but uh, those studies I'm I'm very secure in those statistics. Right. So uh, so it's on right. every level. Right. It's not right. good for the kids either, and it's not good for raising the kids. Uh, either. So, I mean, at the ed- end of the day, uh, I would not recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, enough said.
0: No, yeah. absolutely. And, and it's not, and using the word marriage, certainly not in the sense of a marriage at all, in right. the sense of a right. sacramental yeah. marriage I was using the in the church secular. would use the word, yeah. as opposed to secular use of that term. Just wanted to make sure that yeah. it was clear to everybody. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Next up, dear Father Spitzer, can a priest trained as an exorcist become possessed or influenced himself during an exorcism. Paulette.
1: Well, Paulette, of course, anything is possible. Uh, But one of the important dimensions of, as it were, the exorcist training book, if I can sort of say it that way, uh, is that the priest should really try to be as holy as Mm -hmm. he can in his life. Uh, Now, um, does uh, uh, an evil spirit try to uh, influence the priest who is the main exorcist or even the subsidiary uh, exorcist or um, maybe the people who are in, you know, supporting the exorcism with deliverance prayers, can, does the evil spirit try to influence that priest? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Tries all different ways to do it. And normally uh, a very popular way, as it were, uh, I'm just using that word in scare quotes, a very popular way Way of, of doing that for the devil is to try and bring up something in the priest's past. Mm-hmm. You know, so the priest might have done it. You know, you, the evil spirit knows he's got him dead to rights on something in the past. But the priest is trained to ignore those things, right? Like Augustine had a bad past, but it didn't mean that he had a, a bad present. Mm-hmm. So um, if you look at that, you can say, well, uh, could the devil have attacked Saint Augustine during an exorcism? Yes, he could have, uh, definitely and probably would have, mm-hmm. for sure. But the point is that, um, you know, Augustine would know, you know, just, you know, put that aside. God has forgiven things. I've progressed. I'm now living a holy life all as well. But that that's the key point. The priest mm-hmm. has to be living, uh, you know, that holy life. Mm-hmm. Because if you really are there, the the devil can try all he, you know, um, wants to try and get to you right. and he can try and wear you down and all kinds of other things but if you are vigilant in not being worn down and if you are vigilant in you know casting off all of his ways to try and distract you and of course for the the new um, exorcist on the block uh... he tries to use the usual horror tactics or the horrible language tactics or the uh religious objects flying through the air tactics or the, you know, the tactics Mm -hmm. of moving the chest of drawers all over the room and getting people freaked out or a levitation tactic or something else, you know, to try and unnerve the person. But, you know, an just been around the block is not going to get unnerved by any of this. Very good. But it's the main thing is live a holy life or if you're living a holy life, not having lived a holy life all your life, but if you're living a holy life and you really got your mind on the the lord and your relationship with him and the good of that person and the person there is using their freedom to come closer to god and trying to get the sacraments and you're staying right. sacramentally focused uh, he's not going to get to you right, but absolutely. he could get to you if you're not in that category
0: right and they're going to get to me if we don't take a break uh much more ahead with <laughs> father spitzer answering your questions right after this We are back for part two of this program, a special program answering your questions that you sent to us here at SpitzersUniverse.com. And, of course, Father Spitzer, let's move from the devil to another topic you talked about in the past, having to deal with Neanderthal. Uh, dear oh, Father yeah. Spitzer, I found your recent discussion on Neanderthal people confusing. I know I can't take Genesis completely literally, especially as far as time references. However, you saying that the Neanderthals didn't have a human soul sounded like they somehow predated the Genesis accounts and that they were created but not human. I thought God created everything, in the beginning along with Adam and Eve, who were human and did have souls. Where did these other things, including Neanderthals, come into the picture? If you could give some clarification on your previous answer, I'd appreciate it. This is Don.
1: Yeah, Don. Um, uh, essentially, um, um, Uh, I don't believe that everything uh, came into being uh, at, at one point, and I don't think Genesis should be read that way. Um, What I think Genesis should be read uh, like is, you know, what Father Georges Lemaitre, who was really a Belgian priest who discovered the Big Bang Theory, uh, basically said that uh, all of physical being came into existence at the moment of the Big Bang. That is true. Uh, Of course, not all souls did, Mm -hmm. so we've got 13.8 billion years of history, well, 13.7 a billion, 13.76 billion years of history um, that takes place even before the planet Earth comes. Hmm. Then about 4.5 billion years ago, uh, we've got a planet Earth and our sun that come into existence. And after that, we see about 3.9 billion years ago or so, we've got our first Uh, protozoic, our first, uh, um, you know, uh, single-celled life forms that begin to develop. And I do believe that there is an evolutionary process that takes place uh, over the course Mm. of that um, 3.8 billion years. Now um, about um, uh, a million years ago, um, uh, well, a little over a million years ago, maybe uh, let's just go out almost to two. Uh, 1.5 to 2 million years ago, uh, you do have a whole variety of hominids uh, that are coming about, and they come from a line called Homo erectus. And once that happens, you have got the Neanderthal line going one direction, and that's uh, Homo uh, neanderthalensis, and then you have uh, Homo sapiens. Our line is Homo sapiens. Now there was, uh, as uh, some people have pointed out, there have been some interchange between Homo sapiens and Homo neanderthalensis, and, um, and so that's... Uh, um, so you can see that Homo... Um, uh, sapiens neanderthalensis is kind of a separate sort of offshoot Mm -hmm. of that, don't want to complicate it too much. But then um, we have, at a certain point, uh, homo sapiens is pretty much on its own. It's got some neanderthal uh, genetics uh, in the homo sapien line, but, by and large, it's pretty much its Mm -hmm. own line for about a million years. Uh, I mean, about a million um, years uh, uh, ago. Now, um, now 200,000 years ago, we have what's called, this is coming from the Homo Mm -hmm. sapiens sapiens line, Um, That uh, line then spawns mitochondrial Eve and Y-chromosome Adam. So let's call that about 200,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now, that is not still our ensouled relatives. Those are just our genetic relatives. Mm -hmm. So every human being today has a remnant of, um, of a mitochondrial Eve in their genetic structure. And every man on the earth, I don't care, Africa, Antarctica, no, United no. States, every man on the earth has the remnant of Y-chromosome Adam. So those are our two genetic parents from about 200,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. But then you have to go down another 130 to 140,000 years later. Hmm. There is where you see, um, all of a sudden, um, our kind of life. In other words, uh, for, uh, for, let's say, about 140,000 years, our relatives, our genetic relatives, uh, just didn't do much of anything except crack coconuts and eat bananas. Mm-hmm. But then, suddenly, um, about, let's just say, 60,000 years ago, our genetic relatives start doing totally categorically different things they start doing mathematics mm-hmm. and I can tell you uh, we find counting sticks and all kinds of things the lamb bone bone and all of the other things where you have multiple arrayed counting sticks and various mm-hmm. things so all of a sudden human beings become mathematical and they start getting more and more and more mathematical almost exponentially mm-hmm. all right get more mathematical. and then they become conceptually linguistic that's what that book by uh, Robert Berwick and um, Noam Chomsky's all about mm-hmm. why 60 to 70,000 years ago why only us uh, is the name of the book why are we the only ones that have conceptual linguistic capacity where we mm. can distinguish between dog bites man and man bites dog right where we can actually formulate predicates and direct objects that didn't happen before 60,000 years ago where did we get that from so now we've got homo mathematicus and homo linguisticus in the, in the true sense of syntactically significant language language. And then what happens? And human, re- uh, homo religiosus, right, M- human beings start becoming religious. Mm-hmm. They not only start burying their dead, right, Neanderthals bury their dead, but he- homo sapiens that, uh, you know, 60,000 years ago do something really different. 60,000 years ago, our line, Homo sapiens line, actually starts putting things into that grave that indicate that they know there's going to be an afterlife. So you got little torches and tools and figurines with gods, you know, and fertility goddesses and, you know, if it's a woman Mm -hmm. and all kinds of other things that will be very useful in the afterlife. Well, this is categorically different from what anything Neanderthal Lynch's did. And then finally, of course, Mm. you've got, uh, not just finally, but you've also got, not just bearing the dead. But you've got all of these religious kinds of figurines. Now, of course, they're very primitive religious by comparison to what we view today with a lion head and a human body or something like that. And you look at that and you go, well, gosh, you know, a human head and a lion body. You know, what is that all about? Well, it's not a religion that we know of, but it is certainly a belief in transcendent beings that are around us and a spiritual world that's around us. The physical world is not all there is. You see nothing like this in our homo sapien, uh, you know, relatives prior to 60,000 years mm. ago. And the same thing, by the way, uh, the, the, the the instinct for adventure, the sense of location, and the sense of mapping, and all of these things never, right, our genetic relatives for 130,000 years <clears throat> hung out on the border of Angola and Namibia and did nothing, as I said, but crack coconuts and eat bananas. Mm. Now, <coughs> 60,000 years ago, mm. <clears throat> they're rushing to mm-hmm the northern frontiers of Africa. They're crossing the Straits. They're going into the Middle East. They're actually taking boats and actually going all the way down to Indonesia. They're traveling into Europe. They're going to the northernmost point of Europe. Then they're going across the Antarctic land bridge over into uh, North America, that you know, Alaska, right. zooming all the way down to the southernmost tip of uh, of South America, and they're doing this in mm-hmm. like fifteen thousand years, and for a hundred and thirty, hundred and forty thousand years, they were doing nothing but remaining like sedentary idiots, and now suddenly, <laughs> they're just going everywhere, doing all these things, mapping it, you know, <clears throat> developing it. Mm-hmm when they get there having culturally significant landmarks that are there, they build their, um, their camps in centralized ways and so forth and so on, this is like totally different conduct. That's the point. There's the soul 60,000 years ago our relatives in homo sapiens sapiens indeed our genetic relatives from mitochondrial even white chromosome Adam for uh, you know you know dumb as a fence post for 140,000 years and then bingo 60,000 mm-hmm. years ago they got smart mm-hmm. and it's been totally different Ever since that's the point of the soul, I'm telling you, that's when it came. That's remember when I talked about those near death experiences. I believe, at that moment, God infused the first soul in what I'm going to call ensouled Eve and ensouled Adam. And that progeny, and by the way, this is verified that a syntactically significant language probably occurred according to Berwick and Chomsky. Remember, uh, Robert Berwick, the mathematical geneticist at Mm -hmm. uh, MIT, and Noam Chomsky's big linguistic guy, um, you know, the the philosopher of uh, language. And they got together, wrote this book, Why only us? They're the ones that actually say this happened in a single human relative. So, what's the point I'm trying to make? The point is is that we've got a soul probably about 60,000 years ago, and that's the point at which God not only gave us the capacity to do all this thinking, getting smart, getting religious, etc., getting good, the manifestation of conscience and taboos, all of that comes 60,000 years ago, as well as the capacity to survive bodily death, as we've seen in the near-death experiences. uh, I think that happened about 60,000 years ago.
0: Okay. Thank you. Very good. Uh, Another question there, Father, on a different topic. I have a dear friend who is 102 years old. God, God bless her. Wow. She's in an ICU, and I very much would ask for your help on knowing what to do for her. What are the obligations of respecting her life to its natural end without prolonging the suffering she's going through? Joe.
1: Yeah, Joe. You do not have to take extraordinary means. Now, we uh, Catholic Church does not consider hydration, nutrition—that's um, uh, through a um, you know one of the um, right. um, you know uh, 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 IVs, you know uh, intravenous feeding. They do not consider that to be uh, extraordinary means. Right. So we do have an obligation to hydrate and to give nutrition. Uh, through intravenous feeding uh, to somebody in that state mm-hmm. Now do you have to have a feeding tube? No you do not or they you know drill a little hole, uh... into you there they put the feeding tube in and they're constantly uh... putting the liquids mm-hmm. of the feeding tube down into you which can make you terribly violently ill and so forth the t- feeding tubes have to be cleaned constantly and you know this sort of thing uh, A respirator clearly you don't have to do anything like that you do not need to uh, procure uh... anything like uh, heart mm-hmm. resuscitation uh... you do not have to procure uh... you know cancer treatments things of that nature mm-hmm. so um... there is some very good uh... Uh, explanation of extraordinary means Mm. that comes from um, the National Catholic Bioethics Center at ncbcenter.org. If you go there, they've got uh, some good information on what extraordinary means uh, versus non-extraordinary means. But you should get hydration and nutrition uh, for your friend.
0: Right, absolutely are very important. I remember one priest one time said with, you know, people concerned about withdrawing hydration and things like that, he said, well, why don't you just open up the window and let them catch pneumonia? Uh, it'll be faster that way yeah. if that's what you're looking to do is to kill yeah. them. Uh, so yeah. anyway. Uh, dear Father yeah. Spitzer, I remember hearing that when Cain killed Abel, he became guilty of killing any children Abel w- would have fathered. Would an abortionist be held responsible for God for any of the lives that may have been produced by the child he aborts? It's also from Don.
1: Well, Don, actually not. Um, He's just responsible for the one he did abort. But you are right. I mean, obviously, uh, he has, by so doing, Mm -hmm. uh, prevented all these other babies. But he's not... Uh, culpable for it because he was not directly involved in the killing of those children. Uh, so you can only do that in a sort of indirect mm-hmm. uh, sort of way, but that doesn't um, uh, carry with it moral culpability.
0: Right. Okay, very good. Next up Dear Father Spitzer, is repentance of past sins considered a good work? Was the repentant thief crucified with Christ committing a good work by repenting, or was he saved by faith alone by believing in Jesus? Angela.
1: Well, Angela, I don't think you want to uh, put that question into a um, a faith versus works uh, Mm -hmm. distinction. Um, So, the main thing to remember is uh, well, of course, you could say it was a good action, Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think that's what's meant by work. Um, This is uh, this this faith versus works, uh, this, of course. comes out in the letter of James in particular, though also in the letters of Paul. Mm -hmm. And um, I think uh, Martin Luther took the letters of St. Paul and kind of worked them around Mm -hmm. so that St. Paul would be against St. James on the issue and took, uh, you know, um, Paul's statements on faith alone as meaning faith to the exclusion of works. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Paul meant that at all because, of course, if you have Christian faith, you're going to do good And what that means generally is service or something Mm -hmm. of that nature. So the good thief was really not doing a service for other people at that point. What he was doing was throwing himself upon the mercy of um, Jesus for the sake of his soul, and Jesus heard that. Mm. was merciful and granted him access to the kingdom of God that very day. But a good work? No, it was Mm. not a good work. But was it um, a good action? Absolutely, Mm. it was a good action.
0: Okay, next up, dear Father Spitzer, am I correct in believing that when a priest absolves me in confession he's acting in persona Christi? Does this mean any counsel he provides in the confessional would also be in persona Christi and thus infallible? And this is Lucy, I guess the infallible's no. in there, I can't be... Yeah. Sure. Right, yeah.
1: yeah, Lucy, that, no, it does not follow. No. Uh, it's the sacramental absolution that's in Persona Christi. Now, the priest is trying to give you the advice that Jesus Christ would give you mm-hmm. uh, to the best of his ability uh, in the confessional, uh, but many a priest has probably given some less than <laughs> right. um, Christian wisdom advice to uh, uh, in a confessional, and I certainly don't exclude myself uh, from having done this. I'm sure I've said some things which, uh, when I get to heaven and find out, oh boy, I said that when I was uh, mm-hmm. uh, a, a brilliant 31-year-old priest. Mm-hmm. You know, oh wow, what, you know, I'm I'm <laughs> going to regret a few things I said. I don't even remember them. I'm sure, because you know, you hear so many confessions. You, you, you know, after a while, you you just don't remember a lot of what you have said so I'm sure I'll look back and see you know some non-in persona and, right. and, and hopefully, none of, and hopefully of,
0: yeah. none of what you heard. Uh, so yeah,
1: that's right. Uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I won't so, remember that.
0: <laughs> dear Father Spitzer, I know that the Pope has granted priests the authority to absolve the sin of abortion. Are there other sins that priests cannot absolve? Doesn't this endanger a person's soul if they have to seek out a bishop for confession? Olivia.
1: Well, um, there are some uh, restricted uh, sins, um, uh, Olivia, but there are so, such serious sins like genocide or something, mm. um, you know, or you know, uh, mass murder or whatever, um, that there are what's called uh, ecclesiastical penalties that attach to them. Normally these are um, uh, reserved sins, but by and large, uh, priests have a pretty um, much a universal um, ability. Uh, to forgive mm-hmm. the entire range of sins that a person would commit like uh, it used to be that yeah. um, actually abortion was a reserve sin right. Um, right. I mean uh, Jesuits and bishops had the right to do it but I don't think uh, I think uh, every priest now has the right of course to forgive sin of abortion mm-hmm. and um, so that's no longer reserved but there are a few of them but they're, they're like unlikely to be anything uh, that um, uh, you would do, of course, mm-hmm. a violation of the sacramental seal of confession, that would be a reserved sin to a bishop. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, you know, there's uh, a mm-hmm. few other ones, um, you know, that are there, um, but by and large, um, uh, they, they're really not going to impinge on you. Okay. Next up,
0: uh, we'll slide a couple more in the closing minutes, dear Father Spitzer. Do Catholics have a moral obligation? To tell a priest their concerns about a couple to be married, if if I have information about a possible impediment to a relative's upcoming marriage, should I voice my concerns to the priest, or just mind my
1: own business, since I don't have solid proof? Sheila. Sheila, I would say mind your own business in this sense, mm-hmm. uh, because if you don't have the positive proof, right. um, <laughs> oh, the, oh, right. you know, and then that priest brought it up to that couple. Oh my gosh. Uh, that, that, that could be uh, ter- right. terribly disruptive. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would say mind your own business. I mean, I think a priest would probably, if you didn't have the goods, uh, the, uh, the proof, uh, that would be, um, um, you know, another thing. But if you know that there's mm-hmm. some kind of a sacrilege or something uh, that a person has committed that would really be a true impediment, and you can prove it, um, mm-hmm. you, you should probably tell a, a priest Uh, about that, um, um, then, of course, uh, uh, you know if you tell them uh, that and the person says, I want proof, um, you know, then, uh, uh, you know, that that you you, you know your name could be uh, brought out into the public. Right. Um, So you have to be very, very careful there, and you surely do not want a libel charge uh, against right. you, um, either from the secular point of view, so I would just say best uh, to mind your own business right. unless you know of something that's truly sacrilegious or something that's or truly. If f-
0: or if you feel close yeah. enough to that that couple or that person to go privately yeah. and say, "Gee, yeah, you, you know, shouldn't, you shouldn't get married." Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, this is this not an issue, and and again, yeah. that person. Yeah. They they can tell you the truth or not. They're going to have to answer for it later. The priest can't tell whether you're lying to him yeah. or not.
1: Right? So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. I mean, and, and it's clear there's a prenuptial investigation um, that that a priest does, and um, some of those questions, I mean, if you answer them truthfully, but you, I mean, if you answer them truthfully, um, then you know, you know, there shouldn't be yeah, too much fine. that. Right. Uh, is you should be fine but if you are answering them falsely that's the couple's business and of course that affects the contracting of a sacrament Mm -hmm. you can't have a sacramental marriage where the intentionality is is undermined by the fact that you know you committed a sacrilege which you just lied about you know that's not gonna be a sacramental marriage so you don't even have to worry there Um, and once that gets proven um, you know, the, the marriage will have never really taken right. place and, and, in the eyes and, of the church.
0: And that's why they still publish the bans, I think it's for three weeks yeah. or whatever, in yeah. at least the, it uh, used to be in the newspaper, but certainly yeah. in, uh, for the parish, so that if the idea yeah. is if somebody had a concern that gave them an opportunity to be aware of this, yeah. right? Uh, Dear dear Father Spitzer, five minutes to go, there is a lot of division in our church, our country and our world. We practice our faith and believe that heaven is the ultimate destination. But how can we keep our joy when the future appears so
1: dismal at this time? Barbara. Well, Barbara, you know, part of my uh, fascination with the intellectual life is history. And so I just love to study these trends in history. Where it looks like we're Catholic Church going down for the count, right? And I can identify century after century. I mean, the Protestant Reformation is just the half of it. Uh, the Catholic Church is really—I ha- mean, remember when the Catholic Church was practically purely Arian, you mm-hmm. know, for about a century and a half? You know, and half the, more than half the bishops were Arian bishops and everything else. Yet. Vroom, you know, with all, these saints come around, right, in Protestant Reformation, right. you, you get suddenly, and not a St. Athanasius in this case, but a St. Ignatius and, you know, a variety of other, you know, all the whole mystical tradition of the Carmelites and a gazillion other saints that, that uh, uh, come about, you know, that suddenly reverse everything. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit, all I can tell you is the Holy Spirit really knows what he's doing. And so even though we look at the newspapers, and I do this myself, Mm. I go, oh, no, now what? This can't be. You know, where are we going to be in 10 years? I don't say that anymore, Mm. because I just know uh, right before my eyes THAT COULD CHANGE IN A HEARTBEAT. Mm -hmm. I USED TO THINK, WE'LL NEVER GET A CHANGE IN THIS ROE V. WADE DECISION. I USED TO THINK, OH, THE COMMUNISTS in RUSSIA, THEY'RE JUST GOING TO GET WORSE AND WORSE AND WORSE AND WORSE. NO ONE WAS MORE SHOCKED THAN ME WHEN BORIS YELTSIN STANDING ON THAT TANK. I'M JUST SITTING THERE GOING, ARE YOU KIDDING ME? Mm -hmm. PINCH ME. This is like I can't believe. Well, the amazing I'm, thing I'm, was,
0: considering how many yeah. drinks he probably had before he got on that tag, it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh.
1: That's true. He did. He did like a little vodka every once in a <laughs> while. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh, the longer, the, but he was boy. He what a day that was. I mean, pinch me, you know, right. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, providence has its way. But remember, providence always has to work through human freedom. And it do- providence does work through human freedom. Right now, God is calling all kinds of saints together in all kinds of ways unknown, in all kinds of movements, not just um, uh, sacred movement, uh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, right. uh, clergy movements, but uh, all kinds of lay movements. I mean, tons of them. I mean, I look around, you know, I, I work at this Napa Institute, and during the Napa Institute, we have all all these organizations come, give a little profile, you know, in you know, a couple of minutes, and right, you know, right. uh, in front of everybody, and it's just absolutely amazing uh, to see what they are uh, doing, and it's just happening all around us. So, I do, do I really think that the current kind of right. situation and the malaise that comes there from, Do I really think that that's going to be a, a problem uh, going forward? I really. DON'T. I THINK GOD ALREADY HAS HIS PLANS IN PLACE, HAD HIS PLANS IN PLACE OVER THE LAST 20 YEARS. HE'S JUST BEEN PUTTING THEM INTO ACTION. Mm -hmm. AND OF COURSE, YOU KNOW, THE EVIL SPIRIT MAY SEE THIS GUY, THAT GUY, THIS GUY, THAT GUY, YOU KNOW, THIS WOMAN, THAT WOMAN, THEY SEE THEM ALL, YOU KNOW, TOGETHER. And BUT THE the EVIL SPIRIT DOESN'T KNOW uh, HOW, YOU KNOW, THE HOLY SPIRIT CAN JUST PULL THEM ALL TOGETHER IN A SINGLE MOVEMENT, AS HAPPENED IN THE COUNTER-REFORMATION. Um, You you look at that and you go, wow, that's really an interesting period. And uh, so I I think, uh, you know, stay very hopeful. I'm I'm constantly positive, optimistic, because I really do believe the Holy Spirit's had the plan in place for a lot longer. I don't recognize one billionth of the pieces. But when he assembles those pieces, I will not be surprised when I said, just remember, I told you so. Right. Well, it's
0: amazing, as you you refer, you get the Protestant Reformation happening in one place, and then you have all the conversions happening in the Americas out of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Or you Uh have uh, the problems in the Western Church and the incredible rise of the Church of Africa and in Asia.
1: So, you know. Uh, You know, it's just two more instances, and I'm waiting to see uh, there's going to be something happening in China. I can tell you this Mm -hmm. right now. You look at it and you go, no, nothing's going to happen there. Oh, yes, it will uh... the holy spirit has not forgotten Absolutely. he just puts his plans into place in his own timing he has to work and, through human freedom right and, and when and he puts and, it into place he'll it'll, it'll and be if there. the
0: communist chinese didn't see it coming they wouldn't act the way they're acting because they see it coming that's too. right With that being said, if you'll give us your uh, blessing on the way out the door, that'd be great.
1: Absolutely. And may the Lord of all providence send his spirit down upon you so that you might see not only his guidance, inspiration, and protection in your life and the life of the people around you, but also in your community and in your local church and in the, 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 the national church and in the world church and in history itself. And may Almighty God bless you with this hope and to evangelize this hope in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Amen. A pleasure as always. Thank you as much, Father Spitzer, for answering those tough questions. We'll see you next week. Keep those questions coming. Don't forget, Father Spitzer's books are available through the EWGN Religious Catalog. Next week we'll return to Christ versus Satan in our daily lives as we continue through that book. And our EWTN bookmark this week with my good pal, Teresa Tamio, listening to God, the incredible ways God speaks to us. And don't forget, they might be saints. Rhoda Wise, this is a special one. If you love Mother Angelica, you need to know who Rhoda Wise is. Thursday, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, they might be saints. And if you keep watching, Mother Angelica hopes that you'll become one as well. We'll see you next time. Thanks.